thank you. Um, I'm just going to read out our reading text for this morning. Um, it's fine if you have a Bible near you and maybe you want to go to it. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 to 17. Here's what it says. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekin, son of Ramanahah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself of Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son of Jershahog, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field and say to him, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of the two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. And the Lord will bring in you and your people and on the house of your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. Amen. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, very well read as well. Lots of big names in there. Um, ben, in just a few moments, you've shared with us so much. Um, and perhaps there will be opportunity somewhere uh, through uh, in the new year to hear a little bit more about the work of IGM. Thank you so much. Um, incredibly challenging. Please do continue to pray um, for what you've heard from Ben this morning. Um, we're going to think about these words from uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Um, so you might want to keep your Bible open at that passage. Um, just as we do begin, you've maybe heard the phrase, um, you are what you eat. Have you ever heard that phrase? You are what you eat, and that just kind of means it's important um, to eat good food in order to be healthy and fit. You are what you eat, or you become um, what you consume. But in a similar way, we're also uh, 
It's also true that we are what we look at or, or we become what we listen to. We become like what we look at. We become like what we listen to and what we consume. Um, in other words, what uh, we can become like the people that we most admire or the things that we, we gaze at and gaze at online. And you young people listen very carefully. Um, we must be so careful and disciplined um, in how we interact with social media. We've already heard of some of the, the incredible dangers that are out there in the world when it comes to online interaction. We can become so consumed with what we're looking at, what we're gazing upon. And in many ways, we can become what we look at. We can become like what we gaze upon. This week, I heard um, just a really challenging uh, kind of statement from a pastor, and he said this. He said, Satan's greatest strategy is not to make you a great sinner. It's to slowly edge you out into the darkness. Just think about that. Great, uh, Satan's great strategy is not to make you a great sinner. He will do that. But his greatest strategy is to slowly edge you out into the darkness and away from the light, away from the Lord, away from God. So this Christmas time, we're inviting all of us to behold Jesus, who is the light of the world. He is light in the darkness. He is the light above all else. And our desire is that by gazing upon him, by looking upon him, by beholding Jesus, we might become deeply formed by who he is and the life that he brings to us. In modern English, behold isn't a word that's really used anymore at all. It sounds more like something Gandalf would say to a wayward hobbit. Behold! Um, we don't often use that word in, in our modern English language, but it appears around 1,500 times throughout the Scriptures. Um, the NIV doesn't use the word that often, but the ESV or the King James Version use the word, still use the word behold quite often, uh, almost 1,500 times. And whenever we think about this word, it comes from a literal kind of translation that means be sure to see or, or don't miss this. Don't miss this. Be sure that you see this. Behold in our own modern English language, we might say something like, come and see, come and see this, you need to see this. But it doesn't carry the same kind of weight or urgency as the word behold does in the biblical context. To behold something means that you need to see this. You must come and see this. You need to stop and take note. You need to look upon this. You need to let your heart settle upon this. Come and see this. You need to behold. One author writing of the word behold says that when God uses the word behold, when the scriptures use that word behold, it's almost like God is grabbing us by the collar, urging us to notice something that we're otherwise going to ignore. So when we read that word behold, it's like God is grabbing us and he's saying, you need to see this. Behold this. Don't miss this. Don't miss what's about to be said. Don't miss what I am about to show you. I think we all sometimes need to be grabbed by the collar. Metaphorically speaking, we need God to wake us up. We need God to stop us in our tracks and behold what it is that he wants us to hear or what it is that he wants us to see. 
You don't need me to tell you that in a world of smartphone, uh, smart television, technology, that um, we're in a world where we don't want to miss anything. We're all very well informed. We don't want to miss out on what's going on out there in our world. We don't want to miss anything, and yet we're in constant danger of missing the very things that God wants us to take note of. Silver rectangular devices are always within arm's reach, making us live in a constant state of distraction, constantly in a state of struggling to pay attention to what actually matters most. It's not just me feels that. I believe we're all living in that constant state of threatened distraction where we miss the very things that God wants us to see. We miss moments of beautiful, ordinary celebration within our families. That's why it's so good to just stop today and give thanks for the gift of little Ava Joy. Because if we're honest, in our everyday distracted lives, we miss moments of beauty within our families because we're so distracted by other things. We lose sight of the, if we're honest, we really we lose sight of the friend whose heart is heavy and who needs a little bit of encouragement because we're so distracted. We, we fail to notice the stunning cloud formation taking shape in the expanse above us because we're so distracted. We neglect to open up the living word because the digital world has so grabbed our attention and captivated our heart's affection. And so this Christmas, we're inviting each other, we're inviting you to behold, to stop and to take notice. Don't miss this. Don't be so distracted this Advent season that you miss, that you miss what God is saying to us that you miss the beautiful invitation to enter into the Christmas narrative all over again, that you would discover Emmanuel in a fresh way, God with us, behold Jesus. Behold the Son of God. Our goal in a season of great distraction is to draw your attention once again, to bring an invitation that you would once again have in your heart a sense of anticipation as we welcome Jesus our Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord once again this Christmas time. It's an invitation to behold. Don't miss this. Don't be so distracted. Don't rush through December with your eyes in the shop windows and on Amazon. Prime, it's wonderful. What a gift. <laughs> what a gift Amazon Prime is. But what a distraction. We want to behold Emmanuel, we want to stop and gaze upon his beauty. That's our goal. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, let's look at that. Keep your Bible open. We're going to go kind of deep into this. Hopefully, I'll make it simple enough that, that you understand what's going on. But let's look at Isaiah 7, um, where we read in verse 14, this prophecy of Isaiah, where we read that, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, there's the word. Behold, God wants you to stop and take notice. Don't miss this, God says. Don't miss this moment. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. You see, the context of this prophecy from Isaiah is interesting. I'm going to be honest, it's a little bit complex. 
Um, you may be more familiar, you will be more familiar with Matthew's um, uh, account um, of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew quotes this verse from, from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Matthew records for us that Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And an angel appears to the humble, upstanding Joseph. And the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid. You're to take Mary as your wife because the son that's within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit and his name will be Jesus, the one who will save the world from their sins. And it's at this point that Matthew recalls Isaiah 7, 14. Matthew goes back in to the prophecy of old and he brings out this verse from Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, most of Matthew's prophetic references are actually really straightforward. And they make perfect sense in so many ways. But this one is a little bit more complex when we go back and look at the moment that it comes from in Isaiah chapter 7. One commentator writing about this, he says that when we look back at Isaiah 7, it sure doesn't sound like Isaiah is preparing his readers to anticipate the Messiah coming through a virgin birth. Because those surrounding verses that Ben read, and you're probably listening to that thinking, what's this got to do with Christmas? What's going on in those verses about kings and about nations and about countries? And what on earth is going on in that moment? And so I just want to unpack that for a few moments. I think this is really important that we bring out what's going on in that original context in Isaiah chapter 7. We're introduced to a king. He's a wicked king. His name is Ahaz. And what we see in the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament kings were really good, and they led the people in worship of God, and the one true and living God, but some of the other kings were wicked. Their hearts had turned from God, and they led the people into rebellion and disobedience and, and away from Yahweh, and Ahaz is one of those kings. He's the latter. He, he has been drawing the people away from Yahweh worship. And things were not good for wicked King Ahaz. You still with me? Is the balcony still with me? Good. Things weren't good for the wicked King Ahaz. Two kings had tag-teamed against him. They joined forces. They had formed an allied partnership against Ahaz and the people of God. Rezin was one of them, the king of Syria. The other was Pekah, who was the king of Israel. And they had got together, they had joined forces to go against Ahaz. And in that moment, instead of looking to Yahweh God, the one true and living God, Ahaz takes his eyes off God. And instead he goes and he consults with the Assyrian king at the time. And he has this kind of negotiation with him. And he looks to another king's help in the battle against these two kings coming at him and his people. And so he doesn't go to God. That's the point. He doesn't go to Yahweh God. He goes to another Assyrian king for help. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't place his confidence in God. He goes to someone else. He goes to another king. He goes to someone who he believes will have the power to help him. And that's a big mistake. It's a big mistake. Sometimes we just need a simple reminder that it's a mistake to not trust God. Really simple reminder. 
It's a mistake to not trust God, to place all of our trust in someone else who we think will bring us what we need. Ahaz doesn't trust God. I wonder who you're trusting in life. Simple question, but it has a profound impact upon your life. Who are you trusting? Who do you turn to whenever you need help? Again, you teenagers in the room, if there are any, you teenagers, and I saw some heads pop up there. Do you trust God? Are you going to trust God with your life? Or are you going to turn to someone else? Are you going to look to all sorts of other things and other people to bring you the help that you need in this life? Or are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust his plan for your life? What about all of us in the room? Who do we trust? Who do we turn to? In this moment, Ahaz was not trusting in Yahweh God. He wasn't trusting in the one true and living God. And so enter the prophet of God, enter Isaiah into this moment sent by God to tell Ahaz, you know what, Ahaz, it doesn't matter what any other enemy king might say they'll do against you. It's what God says that counts. Doesn't matter what anyone else tries to do. God's plan will prevail. God would deliver his people. God's hand was upon his people. And so God then tells King Ahaz in verse 11 um, to ask the Lord for a sign. It would be a sign that would confirm God's promise with his people. Now, Ahaz, are you still with me? Good, I'm lost in the, I'm deep into this. Ahaz, Ahaz was in this moment, he appears to be humble. You know, he gives this answer to God. He says, I will not ask. I'll not put the Lord to the test. Um, and it sounds like he's being really humble in this moment. God tells him to ask for a sign. Uh, and Ahaz, I'm not, I don't want to ask the Lord for a sign. You know, I can't put the Lord to the test. But that's false humility. God has asked him to ask for a sign. And whenever the Lord asks us to do something, we should do it. It's false humility. Have you ever come across false humility? Yeah. You know when someone's pretending to be really humble, but actually it's false humility. It's a real thing. And in this moment, Ahaz is not humble at all. In fact, that verse is kind of hypocritical reverence. That's how we could describe what's going on in that moment. It's hypocritical reverence. He does not trust God. He does not want to place his life and the life of his people in the hands of God. He does not trust God. He doesn't want God's help. I love what happens next. Because even though he has this false humility and he doesn't want to hear from God, God goes ahead and gives Ahaz the sign anyway. Um, there's a lot going on in these moments and it is complex, but I think it's really helpful for us to understand something about Old Testament prophecy. Garrett Kell, a commentator, um, writes this. He says, prophecies often have what we could call a near partial fulfillment that applies directly to the hearers of the day as well as a far ultimate uh, fulfillment that's related directly to Jesus, okay? So every prophecy that we read in the Old Testament has what we could call a, a near 
partial fulfillment of that prophecy. It will be worked out in the day of the people within which it was prophesied. And then there's a far off fulfillment that points to Jesus and, and, and the perfect fulfillment of God's promises in him. And so in this case, there is a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz. It's open to debate because we're thinking, who is the virgin? Who's the baby that, that, that is in the immediate context that Isaiah is prophesying about? And all of that is open to debate. But when we, we, when we look into this prophecy, you can conclude a number of things. And we know that these two kings who come against Ahaz will be gone. They will be erased before the spoken of child would be old enough to discern the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And we also know that the king of Assyria, who Ahaz had turned to, would turn against Ahaz. And it would be a time unlike any other for Ahaz and his people because of his disobedience. But that's all in the partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, and it's very negative. But here's where it turns. Your heart is going to be lifted because in the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, it is so good. It is so much better because it's the sign of Emmanuel. It's a sign of immense significance. The sign that is given will once and for all prove God's saving presence among his people. Ahaz tried to reject it, but God gives it anyway. The sign would come. See, the same has been happening all down through the centuries. People have tried to reject the sign of Emmanuel. The sign has been given. Jesus has come, and yet many refuse to receive him. John chapter 1, let me read these verses that are quite familiar at this time of year. John 1, 9 to 12, John writes the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he, God, gave them right, the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so the sign of Emmanuel given in Isaiah 7 is full of mystery, but its fulfillment is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus who is God with us. God with us. No confusion or debate. It's not open for debate. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Garrett Kell again comments and he says this, the Holy Spirit assures us that the far ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 7 is found in the virgin birth of Jesus. That Mary was the foretold virgin through whom God gave Jesus as the sign proving that he would be with his people to save them. This is it. This is it. God with us. Just let that sink in. Behold that moment. Just behold those three words. God with us.
God with us. See, the Bible over and over again emphasizes the importance of God's presence with his people. The Bible, in many ways, if we distill it all down, at the heart of the Bible is a God who wants to be with his people. God loves us as his people. Emmanuel has come that God might be with us, that we might be with God, that he would be present among us, that his presence would set us apart as his people here on earth. We are people within whom the presence of God dwells and resides. God is with us. Because God is with us, who can stand against us? Because God is with us, no one can stand against us. King Ahaz failed to learn that lesson. He had nations coming against him, and he turns away from God and towards another king who he thought would be his help in his day of need. That wasn't going to work out well. God was there, but he was looking elsewhere. God was was with him, but he was not with God. He chose to turn away and to run to human help. You see, to stand with God in faith is to have God stand with us. He is Emmanuel. It's the promise of Emmanuel. In every battle we face, God is with us. Who who needs reminded of that today? In every battle that this life brings our way, God is with us. He is with you. Behold, Emmanuel, God is with us. We're going to worship God in a moment. Let me invite um, our worship team forward. I just want to lead us into a moment of beholding just before we worship and then go and enjoy some picnic food. Why don't you stand with me? Stand with me for a moment. Just think about that moment in in Isaiah 7. King Ahaz refusing, refusing to acknowledge and believe in the God who was with him turning away from Yahweh God and towards other people. In this moment, as we behold the presence of God, as we behold Emmanuel, in your heart, just thank God that he is with you. We don't turn to anyone else. We don't want to rush through this season. As Advent begins, as we anticipate all over again the coming of Jesus. In our hearts right now, we behold him. We behold Emmanuel. See, Emmanuel means God with us, but as one author so beautifully writes in a stunning article, and if you want this, ask me, I'll pass this on. It's one of the most stunning things I've read all year. This author writes, and I want you to receive this deeply. He says, Emmanuel means God stays with us. Jesus has ascended into heaven. We can't see or touch him anymore, but he poured out his spirit who lives in each of us and among us. Jesus is still with us by his spirit and he won't let us go. 
Even in his absence, he remains present. In all times and all places, the chorus of St. Patrick's Lorica is true. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. He's with us in our sin and brokenness, in our joys and our triumphs, in our failures and our sorrows. Nothing we can do can make him recoil or leave. He won't be God at all if it means being God without us. He's determined to be God only as God with us. No matter what it takes or what it costs, he'll stay with us. So Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts to worship you, we thank you for that promise that you're not God at all if you are not God with us. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything that you have done. We thank you that in this world we are never alone. We thank you that you have come to us. We thank you for the wonder of the incarnation. As we step into another Advent season, Father, may our hearts be lifted in all of our heartache and pain, in all of our joy and triumph, in all of our sin and brokenness with everything that we are dealing with in life. We claim the promise that Emmanuel is God with us. And God, you will never let us go. Stay with us. Move with us. Lead us through this season once again. Lord God, our only response is to worship you. Receive our adoration now, we pray. In Jesus' name.